today I'm joined by Gareth Lewis from MT Finance. Thanks for joining me, Gareth. No, thank you for uh, asking me to join. No problem at all. No, I'm looking forward to it. Because um, obviously we've talked a lot about this in, in, the, uh, in the background or, or you've got some really good opinions on stuff, so it'd be good to, uh, to get it out there. But talk to me first about your, your financial services journey and, and how you got to where you are today at MT. Uh, interesting. I'll try to work it out this morning how long I've been in the financial services industry. So um, I've now, I think I'm in my 24th year of, of um, lending, as it were, um, in the specialist arena for 22 years. Uh, so I started on, I started at a building society, actually, um, uh, helping out on the mortgage side. Um, so dealing with mortgage applications as they came in from the building society point of view, then moved over to a brokerage, a sort of specialist, what you'd call the first iterations of, uh, of a packager or specialist distribution, a company yeah. called Jim White's Mortgage Solutions down on the south coast. Um, uh, did a stint there sort of on the packaging and um, uh, underwriting side and, and then moved into bridging finance, um, which I've sort of done now for 20 years. Well, you know, you said about the um, not counting up your years. Do you think it, uh, Do you think when you get to our age, you miss a few? Because I always say to people, 13 years in the industry. And I looked the other day and it's 16, but I, I, I'd lost three. Maybe that was COVID, but yeah. I just, uh, well, just, yeah, just stop, yeah. stop counting. We lost, we lost a few there. Um, but yeah, you do. <laughs> I think, uh, look, as you get older as well, the reality is the years disappear very, very quickly. So you, if you think mm. about it now, we're, t we're talking about it being four years from COVID. Um, you know, that's crazy, crazy, isn't it? It's yesterday. That's crazy. It's crazy. So where, the, yeah. where have those four years gone? Um, so yeah, I moved in. As I say, moved into the bridging finance space on the underwriting side, then internal sales, then BDM, um, then head of sales, and moved into uh, had a brief stint at another lender before moving into Precise, um, where I became um, uh, head of the sales on the bridging side, and then director of bridging on that side of things, um, and then left and joined MT Finance now five years ago. Uh, came in as commercial director. Um, that long ago, see, that, that's, yeah, that just seems like, that, that's crazy. Five years, well, and then obviously... Over and, the last five, yeah, oh, sorry, to, to interrupt, over the last five years, there's always been something that's been in the marketplace, whether it be general <laughs> election, a, a war, COVID, you know, all these things mm. have been there, which obviously means it, it sort of does have an impact on the timing, and, and then uh, when you do look back at it, you, do, you do certain, suddenly certain, certainly go... Wow, where did that where did that go? Yeah, yeah, I bet. So obviously, on the commercial side um, as commercial director, and then moved into the role of managing director um, last year uh, because that was a better sort of in encompassing element of what I was doing because I was touching you know multiple facets of the business, helping grow, looking at product diversification, um, running the sales side, helping with the underwriting and the processing side, and trying to pull all of that together. So ultimately, it was you know. A, a job of everything in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, yeah. So it was a natural progression from that side of things. Good. So just touching on that, actually, that progression you've done through the industry. Now, this is going to be tapping into a bit of a having to give yourself a bit of self praise, which not everyone is overly comfortable with. But why? How do you think you've managed to rise through the ranks like that fairly steadily throughout your career? What do you think is the is the kind of defining points that some people just stick to what they do. You know, there are and, and there are some fantastic BDMs that have done it for, you know, kind of twenty years. And at the same time, you, you've moved up through the kind of the managerial ranks. What do you think um, kind of separated you to get you to that to get you to those opportunities? Um, do you know what I think? I don't like sitting still. 
Um, you know, my wife would be a testament to that when we go on holiday. I, I can't sit in a sun lounger and do nothing. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll go and play with the kids, I'll walk around the beach, whatever it might be. Um, and I think that's the same philosophy within, within the working environment and just life in general. I think as soon as you start to stagnate and, and feel like, I guess it's two things. You've got to look, listen and, and learn. So you yeah. have to absorb the information that's been presented in front of you and learn from the people you work with along the way um, to become the best version of yourself. Forgive me, I have a lot of little catchphrases that everybody pulls me up on. But again, that is one of them. You know, it, you have to be the best version of yourself because ultimately then you have the best opportunity that you create for yourself. Do you know what's really funny? I was talking to someone yesterday about you and he was saying, he said he's the best version of him since it was, as, as a new are the best version of you in your role as MD. That's really, that's, that's funny that he, he used a very similar terminology about you growing, going up through the ranks, funnily enough. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. You, if, you, if you're, I think if you're happy and you've found a role that you enjoy and you can see yourself doing for the rest of your life, then brilliant. You, you stick at it yeah. uh, and you become, you know, the best at it. Um, and I think it's that competitive nature. Um, you know, we went out and played shuffleboard with all the sales team the other day and, uh, you know, highest winning percentage was me because I'm really <laughs> super competitive. And I guess that's the thing, you've got to be competitive with yourself as well. So, as I say, you look, learn and listen and, and, and find out what, uh, what other people are saying and, and you broaden that. And then you try and find where you actually feel like you want a home. Uh, you know, moving from underwriting to sales was a natural progression because I would class myself as a very good people person. Um, looking at how you better that sales environment, how you better product that you're trying to sell, and, and always be willing to back yourself on that. Um, you know, meant that through the journey with Precise, for instance, you know, we were working on a day-to-day basis, especially in those infinite years, to try and get our best product out there, look yeah. at what the market's doing, look at how we can reinvent the wheel if we could, or, or how we just encompass getting the, the, the best environment for, for us to transact business. Same principle I was when, when I came into MT Finance, okay, what are we doing well, how do we embrace change if we need change, how do we then take those evolutionary growth steps. So I think it's just about a journey of you, but also a journey of what value you can add into a business as well. I mean, let's, let's talk about just something you touched on then about underwriting to sales, because we hear about it a lot, and there's a lot of people who I speak to on this, who are MDs, CEOs, sales directors, whatever it may be, in the higher echelons of the sales side of the business, that have all had that kind of underwriting background. Do you think, do you think it's helped you just getting that kind of that, that technical knowledge? Because they're very, they're too, like when, we, um, when we test for behaviours, obviously, the, the, the BDM test is very different from the underwriting test if we send it to you and ask you which one you want. Um, but there seems to be some great success in coming from one to the other. How do you think that um, they combine? Look, again, um, the reality is, uh, Marcus, is you need to you ha- need to have a broad range of skills to be good at what you do. You need to be able to understand it from other people's side of uh, of the fence as well. So the the same principle applies. You know, understanding what a broker goes through to be a good salesperson, you need to know what their journey is and understand what they do to to get a deal to work. Um, you then, as a good salesperson, you need to then turn around and go, okay, what's the mechanics of the underwrite? If I just turn a blind eye to it and say, well, as soon my job's done, as soon as it's in there, you're mm-hmm. not then providing the support from a sales function to the people that you're you're trying to get business from. So I think, you know, it goes back to the point I said, you know, listen and learn. 
yeah. you the more you listen and learn, the more you become a more rounded individual, the more you can then progress your career because you can actually have empathy for all sides of the transaction. You know, learning about the legal process, learning about valuation side of things, you know, that makes you a better underwriter, but it also makes you a better salesperson. And I think Do you think which one do you think is easiest to teach that if you had to if you're a good salesperson and you want to underwrite or you're going to underwrite and you need to learn to be a can you learn to be a people person or is that is that a skill that's learned or do you think you're i i think that's probably the hardest fundamental to, to learn mm. um because a people person is having a warm personality um you know being able to talk to people at their level um you know you can almost liken it to be a bit of a chameleon yeah. because a good salesperson needs to be able to talk to us talk to anybody on any level whether that be a principal of a business whether that be a, a junior um, new intern you need to be able to find common ground with them so that you can tell them and teach them what your sector's about what your lending opportunities are however it might be now you can't do that if you are just uh, dogmatic in your view and, and centralized on yeah. your personality and your personality alone out of interest, do you think, because um, I don't think this came up yesterday, and obviously you're the same as me, we come from, both come from a rugby background, do you think your, your competitive sport background makes a difference in regards to the chameleon side of things? Because I think rugby, you never, like, you know, you're always stood next to a doctor and a bin man. Do you know, and the, you know what I mean? There's, there's such a variety there, and it's the same for all sports. Do you think that kind of, that helps in your career? Do you think that was a, um, the yeah, reason yeah. you can speak to anyone? Definitely. I think, do you know what? The, the one thing I've always said as well, it's about psychology as well. It's about understanding people. I am a people watcher. If I go to mm. a restaurant, I'll sit with my back to the wall so I can see everything. <laughs> you know, I sit on the, sh on, the, on the office floor so I don't sit in an office and, and keep myself locked away. I like to be sitting on the office floor so I can see what's going on. Yeah. Because you can see people's personalities, how much energy is in the room, and you can see whether people are flat. You can have a conversation with them. You can pick up, you know, we've spoken about this before, the whole element of we moved back to working in the office as soon as we possibly could. Yeah. You know, after that first lockdown, we opened up the office after after that and we, you know, we've been 100% in the office since uh, 2021. Because you learn by sitting with people. You learn by digesting the conversations that are happening around you. You learn by watching people and their, their body language, their body traits and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. you can then engage and, and learn from that side. I'm a massive advocate for that. I think it's, I know we'll touch on it as well about the hybrid working from home model because there is the hiring issue, right? Some people are tempted to do it the other way, but at the same time, I'm a massive advocate for you get good at your job by being sat next to someone who's good at their job. There's only so much we can do in training. Yeah. That, that nuance of the, the chair turning situation is um, you just can't replicate it. And no matter how much we try with the training from working from home, you can't, you can't do it. And you're forever learning. Hmm. Uh, you're never the finished article. You know, whether you're an MD of a business or, or CEO or a chairman, whatever, you, you're, you've, got, you've got to be able to embrace um, other people's thoughts and opinions. Uh, because if you sit still, you, 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 what value yeah, yeah. do you... You go backwards. Yeah. How do you fight that? Um, I suppose you, you look at all the time in management meetings and that kind of thing. You've got to balance it out, haven't you, between getting the talent because some of them do want that couple of days or um, and maybe missing out on that, but benefiting from everyone that's working for you is working at 100% capacity. So I suppose it's the, it's the, and everyone's different, aren't they? So you're always going to have that, that kind of balancing act. 
Yeah, you know, going back to your your question um, a moment ago about what's the hardest things to learn, is it the actual skills and the knowledge Hmm. or is it the personality? Um, I feel the main driver for me from employing somebody is all about personality. Yeah. Yeah, Because ultimately, if you've got the the work ethic and you've got the personality that goes to, uh, you know, want and have that desire to grow as an individual and and, and pull information into you, then you're always going to succeed because you're never going to sit still. Um, So, again, when we're looking at hiring people, I, I want somebody to want to be in the office. I want somebody to want to learn because ultimately, you know, that's, that's how you get enjoyment out of your job. Yeah, um, I think that's the balance you have to have on that side of things. And do you think? It's yeah, it's tricky as well because I don't think you're not necessarily not driven if you if if you're working hybrid. I just think there has to be a really good reason for it, right? I don't think. Yeah. You know, there's there's too many. I can't keep saying dogs of anxiety because it's becoming my tagline. I don't want to do it, but there's there's too many of those to work from home because of the anxious dog. Um, but at the same time, I can see the benefit in both. Like we run a hybrid model, right? So we're in the office most of the time. Um, but as as an MD, I would love everyone to be in all the time. Yeah. I think we get our best work done when we're all together. I think our best, our creative stuff is is better. Um, even like our social media and that kind of thing. Just just learning from each other all the time and go, that's a post. You know, you don't get to do that at home because you you're not hearing anyone. It's it's really easy to hear each other's problems and then go right. That's that's a we can we can solve that but yeah, it's too easy to be too comfortable as well isn't it mm. if you're if you're waking up in the morning you're going downstairs you're making a cup of tea you're potentially staying in your pajamas and you're logging onto your computer your energy level is always going to be suppressed it's never yeah. going to be at its top 100 percent because you what have you done <laughs> you know, yeah yeah literally done nothing that don't get me wrong there's people that will go to the gym or they go and walk the dog or they go for a walk or something like that but you could you could have not spoken to anybody for that period of time. You couldn't have switched on your brain, and you couldn't have got your endorphins going. Yeah. And suddenly, you're an hour, an hour and a half below. You know, sorry, down on your productivity or, or whatever you're doing because you've just meandered through the morning. Yeah. Um, you know that that daily commute, whether it's five minutes or, or you know an hour, the reality is that's your time to switch on. That's how you get your focus for that day, and you get yeah. yourself in that mindset that goes right, go. Um, you know, I did it for a long time. I, we worked from home for a long time um, during that during that period and, and a little bit afterwards. So it's good. It is good. It feels like we've it seems like we collected the data by doing it in the sense that yeah. we, we had a team that worked from home. I had this vision of oh, actually, I could I could build a company from home. And then six months in, you start to see a few problems and you can't fix them very quickly. And then it just it kind of snowballs. Those little problems that are five minute issues in the office yeah. are half an hour Zoom meetings, which it means someone's maybe in the shit where they shouldn't have been. You know what I mean? It's so much, everything's sort of echoed when you're working from home. Problems or, um, you know, or you can't just turn around and say, great job on that one. Exactly. And look, the case in point, when I'm in the office, if I've not been in for a couple of days, I've been on holiday, whatever, Mm. invariably the next time I come back into the office, there'll be people that go, oh, can I grab five minutes? Can I have a moment of your time? And it's being uh, able to do that. They wouldn't pick up the phone to you because they feel that they're intrusive on, on your life at that moment in time as well. So it's about having that willingness and want to then have a conversation with people to learn and, and, and seek a, an answer, as it were, as well. Good. Let's, um, let's, touch, let's go back to... Talk, you, we, we sort of touched on the team side of things. Um, it'd be really interesting as a, as a kind of a leader in financial services. You came from a bit of a super team, didn't you? If you look at um, the people that you have worked with in the past, um, yeah. in your team, your sales team previously, I think they're precise. 
Yeah. It was a bit of a superpower. If you look at, like, I think you, Jamie Pritchard, uh, Sandeep Patel, it was a, it, you've all got to higher echelons of the business through that. Um, so my question is, was that, it can't be an accident, right? I mean, it's not luck that a team is built like that. So how was that, how was that built initially and how did you all sort of become leaders through that or, do you think, or, or was it through something else? I think it, do you know what? It takes a step before that as well. If you think of the, the people that set up that business, uh, you know, your Ian Onigans, your Alan Cleary's, John Nixon's of, of the world, the, the reality is you had some highly driven, highly skillful individuals who, who were, you know, who wanted to make a difference. They yeah. wanted to produce a business that was at the forefront of specialist lending. So naturally, again, you go back to the interviewing and hiring uh, that you would have from that perspective. They're naturally going to seek to build a business with people in it. Like-minded people, yeah. Yeah, who, who they, you know, automatically they're going, right, I see traits of you in me. Um, I can see what you could offer to the team. I can see your personality. I can see you're hungry, you're driven. I can see you're, you've got an opinion and you're willing to voice it. And I think that's a big win as well. You yeah. Know, we can all be... There's too many people that could be quite meek and turn around and go, well, you know, I'm not going to put an opinion across. I'm not going to voice something. But the reality is everybody, every, everybody's opinion has an element of weight behind it because they've yes. seen it from experience. Um, and whether it's the right opinion or the wrong opinion, there's, there's going to be some facts around it. There's going to be something that works from that perspective. How important do you think that is actually about being able to challenge management or being able to, to bring in your ideas and that kind of thing? I, I genuinely think recruitment-wise... I think it's what separates us from the CV sifters is being able to challenge your clients. Um, some people don't take it as well, and some people do, you know. How, how important do you think it is in business to be able to accept someone's challenges and also be able to offer them to people? Oh, it, it's a fundamental, it's a key point. Hmm. The reality is, look, you take anything. If, if somebody's willing to give you an opinion, they've thought about it because hmm. they wouldn't just, they wouldn't shoot from the hip, yes. especially if you're in an environment where you're talking up the chain. Yeah. Um, so if, they, if they've taken the time to digest what they're trying to present to you as, a, as an opinion, and um, you should listen to it all, all, all the time. Whether it's right for you, but you then have to explain backwards to them as to, okay, whilst I appreciate what you're saying, it wouldn't work because of X, Y, and Z. Or actually, I, I take your point, we can mould it, shape it, and make it something different. And you have to be welcome that. But also, from you as an individual, for you to progress, if you're not willing to voice an opinion, you're not backing yourself. So yeah. you're always only ever then going to have a ceiling to where you can go because you're not challenging yourself. Uh, because the fundamental for growth and progression is being able to challenge yourself first. Yeah, yeah. Because if you just sit there and think, I'm perfect... Um, and I don't need to voice an opinion because I'm always going to do good. You're not. You, you need to be able to challenge people and say, actually, I don't think you're quite right on this. This is my opinion. This is why. I and then, you know, it goes back to why I sit out on the floor so people can have those conversations with us. You know, we're a, as a management team from from the you know the the family directors um, all the way through. We're we're there to be approached. We're there to have a conversation with people. We're very open. And, and I suppose that's equally important when it comes to like the uh, equality, diversity, inclusivity type thing. It's not so much, it's, the, it's not having that hive thinking, right? So not everyone's just a yes man for you. Because as you say, if, if you're surrounded by people going, good idea, you'll never know if what you're doing is a good idea. So I suppose the, the challenges come from that as well. Having, having different thoughts in the business is always going to be beneficial, right? And, and do you know what as well? It's, um, 
it's about that friction point as well. So if you think about sales and underwriting, um, you know, the, I was saying this to, to the, had the BDMs in the other day, and I was saying you're always going to have an element of friction. If there wasn't friction between sales and underwriting, then you're wrong. both teams are not doing their job. Yeah. So you're always going to have an element of friction where you're going to have an opinion or you're going to want a, and have a desire that's slightly different from theirs. And it's about being able to voice that in the right way, have empathy to the situation and find a solution. Um, but also, don't take things personally. Because as soon as you take something personally, you're then um, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Because yeah. ultimately, you're going to be in a position where you've taken it personally when it isn't personal. It's just about getting something done. So if you're shot down because your idea or your thought process isn't, isn't quite right, or you didn't know all the information... Yeah, it's a commercial decision, like, right? Oh, yeah, it, that's fine. Move on. Don't, don't let it stop you from, from turning around. And, and How do you manage that out of interest between underwriting and, and BDMs? Because it's got to be, obviously, BDMs are there to get business through the door, right? And underwriters are to make sure that it's to go through safely. So is there, is, I know there's that friction, but how... I think it's the education. Yeah. You, you educate an underwriter to realise that the, the BDM's doing their job, and if they don't challenge you and the broker doesn't challenge you when you're underwriting a transaction, then... Um, yeah, because no, no one puts through a case that they don't think is going to go through, do they? No one thinks this isn't going to work. So they're all shocked when it comes back. Yeah. And look, and you know, you take the broker journey, for instance. A broker only gets paid when that case completes. Hmm. So that is their bread and butter. That's their ability to pay their mortgage or, or you know, put food on the table, as it were. I know that sounds drastic. But that yeah, is it's true, yeah. So that's, they're always going to then have a strong opinion around a transaction um, to want to get the solution. Now, the BDM and salespeople's job is to show willing to help that broker to get that case through the, the, the life um, and get it to completion um, if some problems and challenges go. But then what they have to be is a mediator between the, the, the broker who's, you know, fundamentally this case has to complete. The underwriter goes, well, I've got a risk here that I have to mitigate, and that's why I'm asking the question. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's the thing. You, they have to play the person in the middle that goes, okay, I understand what you're saying over here, but this is right here. And they have to be, be able to then push back to the, to the broker yeah. or push to the underwriter to say, actually, can we have a think about it from that? It's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you've mentioned empathy for the other parties. And I think sales previously, you know, kind of back in the day, probably skipped that part of um, yeah. the sales process, actually the understanding side of it. I think that we, I mean, we test on empathy, that, that, that particular behaviour for us because I think it's really important. I think it's, it's been missed in our industry as well. But actually, the sitting down and listening and the understanding of, I understand where you're coming from is, is massive, right? Well, it's the old age thing, is it? A business development manager in the past was always construed as a bro uh, brochure delivery manager, wasn't it? Because ultimately, it was like, here's my product. Yeah, don't want it. My doorstep. Like, this is, yeah, this is the rate change. Don't darken my doorstep. Yeah. Uh, a, a good salesperson is actually a relationship builder. They're the one mm. that sits there and understands who that person is, why, uh, what type of clients they've got, what type of businesses, be able to challenge them. You know, I used to go into people's offices and sit there, and this is when they had their, their deals on the whiteboard, you know, before, yeah. before they, they became obsolete. And I go, well, why is that loan gone to that lender? Why is that loan gone to that lender? And you challenge them to say, well, but we would have done We did that. that. <laughs> yeah. I would have done that, and I would have done it better. When you, do, you, know, you have to back yourself. Yeah, yeah. But then that's the education. That's the improving that person you're dealing with on the same principle. So, again, when you're talking about cases um, with underwriters, 
you know, lending money is risky. There's risk involved in lending money. Yeah. And it's just about mitigating the risks. Okay, so you look at the transaction. Does the transaction make sense? Um, can you see what we're securing our, our lending against? And can you see how we're going to be repaid? There's going to be some bumps in the road that go to all those points to get yourself comfortable. But okay, it's about making sure you get your ducks in a row to be able to say, okay, I'm happy to lend. Got you. Um, and that's a key fundamental from that side of things. How... Um how have you felt this year? Or have you noticed this year? Because obviously, money was tighter, right? There's less, less, you know, leads were more. Um, people were making the most out of every lead, and you had quite a few brokers that, we, especially we were speaking to, that were looking to kind of jump into commercial and some specialist lending, that kind of thing, that perhaps didn't have the the desire for it previously. How did you manage that over the last kind of year, eighteen months? That there's a there's a bit of less there's less education, if you like, around that with. Like your box down a resi broker who is just selling that, and then but they they'd normally pass that off perhaps, but now they're trying to do it themselves. Was that quite taxing for like the, the BDMs and the like, just in regards to education, or did you did you notice any different? Do you know what? I think the specialist industry and the specialist lending industry as a whole does that very well. You know, I've, I I talk about my first journey into bridging finance, and it's always been an education because people look at bridging finance when I first started and they go cool that's you don't, don't want to do bridging fund that's really expensive or you know that's a lender blast resort or is that not somebody in a full cortina with a baseball bat that gets their money back <laughs> you know there was a there was this stigma attached to it yeah yeah but it was unfounded actually ultimately what bridging finance is, is about from that perspective is a it's a facilitator of a transaction very rarely does anybody wake up in the morning and go on a bridging finance loan uh, again, one of my, my, my phrases. Um, but they do wake up with a need and a necessity for, for, for money. Quick money. So they need to be able to facilitate it. Okay, is that a refurb and renovation where the, the, the mortgage lender, like high street mortgage lenders, turned around and said, well, it's unlettable because it's got a pea green bathroom suite. Um, you know, a bridging loan turns around and goes, well, actually, it's got a value. Everything has a value. Tell me what the value is now. I know that they're going to do the work to improve that property and make it a lettable property. Let's do the deal. Um, you know, so it's it's, it's a solution based thing, and that's I the think that's why I love it. I love it because it's a commercially. It's not like with the greatest of respect to Resi stuff. It's not it's not somebody's mortgage that they rely. It's a commercial decision, right? You you, you know you're going to make X out of this, and then yeah. so you can lend on it, and then it, Y. You know, it just I think it's so much easier to transact that way because it is more expensive, right? But it's relative because someone's making money from it. It's a little bit different if you're doing it on your. On your, you know, on your resi house because the chain's falling down. Yeah. It's, it's twofold, isn't it? It either makes you money or saves you money. Mm. Or, I guess the third to that would be it it, it protects you emotionally. Yeah, it solves your problem, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So if you've got a if you've got a regulated chain break, so you're you're retired, downsizing, moving to the coast, you found your dream home, you haven't sold your property yet, but you need to complete on this one. Um, you know, that's an emotional purchase. That's yeah. a transaction where you go, emotionally, I know it's going to cost me more money than uh, it would if I waited. But you get your I, house. I run the risk that I don't get that property that overlooks the sea or is next to my yeah. or whatever it might be. I suppose it's the pain of losing that thing, isn't it? The pain of that th that cost has to, it outweighs it. Otherwise, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do it, right? Exactly. Good. Um, and then the other side is, is making money. Yeah. Um, Which is the majority of your business, right? It's just people making money. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they're, they're the easiest ones. Um, in, in regards to this coming up this year, what, what's the, um, how's it looking for you guys? Actually, I wanted to step into this, but I'll start with this. Otherwise, I'll go off on a tangent, as you know, every time I speak. But um, how's it looking for you guys? Obviously better than last year, but 
2024? Um, do you know what? Last year was a very good year for us. We we were up on our lending. We actually had a record year. Um, you know, the year finished incredibly well. No one needs um, to hear that, mate. We want to hear 30% down like everyone else, all right? We want to... <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, we were, we were down. <laughs> I'll edit it out. <laughs> uh, joking, yeah, on. so it, it was... Look, it, from the bridging side of things, it was a phenomenal year. Yeah. Um, from the buy-to-let side of things, uh, you know, obviously we launched a, a little over a year ago on that side of things. Tough Probably time, right, for buy-to-let, to yeah, launch-wise? The worst environment ever to launch a, a buy-to-let lender at. Um, <laughs> thankfully, we had a very good uh, business behind us in, in the bridging side of things, which allowed us to then absorb some of the, the pain and, and that comes with trying to build something out on the buy-to-let side. But actually, what it gave us was an element of grace to, to to build our learning and journey on that side of things and look at how attention please sorry what? attention please is that um, a fire alarm it's a fire alarm test oh okay i'll edit this bit out yeah 28 <laughs> minutes all right then. <laughs> please. i didn't realize it came off in this office <laughs> Well, hopefully we're all fire alarms. They should go off everywhere. Well, yeah. I thought the uh, speaker was outside the door, though. Ah, right, got you. That's intense. Was it Second World War fire? Yeah. They, uh, the speaker actually, where I sit normally, um, is above my desk as well. And it gets is it? Quite louder. <laughs> Are you concentrating? done i'm not even going to edit that out now i'm just going to have people sit and listen to your fire alarm for two minutes <laughs> yes the buy to let lending was tough but you learned a lot right it was a tricky year yeah the the reality is um yeah you, you twofold when whenever you enter into a space whether it be a product um you know an additional product to what you already do in the bridging space so you know we moved into regulated bridging in 2019 um, and you have to learn a little bit there. You understand what you want to try and do, and we felt there was a need and a necessity for our philosophy to that lending pool. Yeah. Um, and that, but that, you know, had its pitfalls. We we learned a couple of lessons in the early instance of process, uh, but it was relatively straightforward because fundamentally it's still lending in the bridging space. Yeah. The buy to let arena is slightly different because obviously you're going into it with a whole different philosophy. So you're having to look at it in a very different light. You're trying to build a picture around the the underwrite better. Um, what was the what was the reason for going into Bicep? Was it just for because there was another product that worked? Is there obviously it's an obvious vertical for you, but yeah, I think twofold. You go back to your conversation earlier about how do you progress as an individual? Yeah, the philosophy of the people within this business are we never sit still. We're our own worst critics. So uh, Josh and, and Tamir and, and myself will regularly 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 sit down and go, okay, has it been a good year? Um, what do we What's need next? to achieve? Uh, what was it? Was this month good? And then we'll turn around and go, oh, it could have been better. Mm. And then sometimes it takes it takes somebody to turn around and go, actually, do you know what? We had a really good month. We had a really good year. It's nice not to be satisfied, isn't it? But at the same time, you have got to celebrate your wins a little bit because you kind of yeah. miss out a few. Yeah, exactly. Um, but again, it goes back to that principle. We looked at our business and said, right, we're really building uh, strength, and we're we're. Uh, towards the top of the tree in the bridging space you yeah know, we're, we've got a great reputation people love us you know we're a go-to lender okay what do we need to do now to grow our business well okay let's look at the other areas so what are the other areas so regulated mortgages um, commercial development finance buy to let 
when you look at it straight away and you go, okay, we, we do a lot of non-regulated buy-to-let investment transactions on the bridging side, naturally there's a synergy there to then go into buy-to-let. Yeah, of course, you've got your exit area, haven't you, for your... Yeah, exactly. so you're business. not going to go into vanilla buy to let. So you're going to go, okay, let's look at, you know, the specialist side. So you're looking at your HMOs, you're looking at your more complex um, yeah. environment. Because again, that's what bridging finance does really well. It is a, an old-fashioned underwrite. It's actually on somebody underwriting the transaction. So the fundamentals of the business knows how to build that piece together. Yeah. So we looked at that journey and said, okay, logic says go down that route. Um, so we started the journey to look at then funding partners, what we needed from a process and systems point of view, um, people as well. Um, we're a firm believer that if you're going to do something, you make sure you get the expertise in. Yeah. So we obviously looked at who we could bring on board to help push that side of the business forward. And we brought uh, Marilyn on board, who you know has been um, Excellent, yeah. in the lending sphere for, for quite some time. So she came in as head of lending and we've, you know, we built and built that journey from that perspective. Um, but quite rightly, we we went through all the funding decisions, got through all the uh, funding agreements, built the paperwork, put the, put everything in place with the lawyers, and then got to the point where we were ready to launch. And lo and behold, interest rate environment goes mm. straight up. Um, List trusts um, uh, fun times. Yeah. There's, there's some really interesting. There's some really interesting stories in this about timings. You know, people just missed out or just won somewhere. It is like as much as we can be great at business or not, there's a lot to do with the. We're, we're a bit lucky or we're not, aren't we, when it comes to, to timings? We can't predict everything. Yes, but you do. I think you build your own luck as well. Mm. Um, timing, yeah. You can always be fortuitous in timing, as you quite rightly say, because obviously if, if you. If you were, if we were just a new entrant into the buy to let space, God, yeah, you wouldn't fancy that last year, would you? Our business wouldn't be here still from yeah. that perspective because it, the timing would have sucked. But actually, that timing, whilst it wasn't great, allowed us then to learn lessons without being, um, I guess, with less pressure. Yeah. Because the market wasn't moving as fast, so there wasn't, you know, we weren't getting in the data. There's always positives, isn't there? It, it, in, even in the quiet market, we were saying it with brokers. Like it wasn't a, it's not a bad time to set something up when it, the market's tough. You're not leaving anything particularly bad. You're like, you're, it's not massive risk, um, yeah. and you are sharpening your tools because it's the best. It's the worst it's ever going to be. Exactly. And look, the, uh, a journalist asked us a question at the beginning of the week about um, you know economic climate. If we were to go into a recession, um, what impact does that have on, on bridging finance and specialist lending? And the reality is specialist lending works incredibly well, whether it be a buoyant marketplace or, or one that's under pressure from a recession or something along those lines, because ultimately it provides opportunity. Yeah. Because what you have, you still have the, the DNA of people wanting to transact business and buying properties or keeping their properties or whatever it might be. So unless you fundamentally change the DNA of the consumer in, in the UK, the reality is property transactions are still going to come about. And it's then where specialist lending comes in is it provides a solution because it is a, it's a true old-fashioned underwrite you've got somebody looking at it don't get me wrong you try to make the journey as as light touch as possible where you can yeah, yeah. but the mainstay is it's somebody picking out the pieces of that loan and going okay i can get around the complexities of the the client's income i can get around the complexities of the security i can get around the complexities of what they're looking to achieve in this transaction so it's about building that picture and, and saying okay mitigating my risks I do that by loan to value I do that by taking an additional security I do that by looking under the hood at who the client is and what they're doing and what they've done in the past and painting that picture to be able to go 
Brilliant. Just on that, on that painting that picture, this is quite relevant to a lot of kind of, obviously a lot of fintech businesses at the moment. Do you, do you ever think you can take away that human element to paint that picture fully AI? I just think commercial's too tough. I think, I think lending, in fairness, um, look, your mortgage, your basic mortgage, where there is no stress um, from an affordability point of view and you're looking at a standard residential property, it, it, it's vanilla, it's easy. Yeah. Then, yeah, there's going to be... A, a there's not many of those. There's not many vanilla mortgages anymore. <laughs> exactly. Because uh, more people are self-employed. The complexities of how they generate their income is different. Mm. Um, people want to go up that curve when it comes to property and property value is still high. You know, that's bumbling around. It's not... We're not seeing any, you know, values just falling off the edge of a cliff. Yeah. So again, then your affordability from an income perspective becomes greater. So you need stretches from that. Um, you know, we look at the rental yields coming through and and, um, uh, and the affordability that presents itself, the picture that we find ourselves in there. Needs needs fluff. Yeah. <laughs> you need to think yeah, about yeah. things a bit differently. Um, so whilst you can take a small percentage of the business um, and create that, light touch or no touch environment um, I would say we're, we're still in a position that human touch is needed don't forget as well there's a huge amount of fraud risk where you when a computer's doing it <laughs> yeah exactly um, you, and a computer can't take that away yeah I think that, uh, it just in regards to the emotion side of things I think because these sort of transactions are there's there's emotion as well, well especially on the resi side but also on commercial there's just too many variables that I don't that God, Obviously, I'm not a tech whiz, and I'm sure there are algorithms that can fix most things. But I think there's so many variables with commercial lending that you have to have a, a human eye on. I don't think it can be. Um, I don't think it can be replicated yet. Yeah, and I think there's anxiety as well. If you're running a business where you, no one's touching a transaction. Yeah, what's going on? <laughs> would you sleep at night? I don't. Think, no. no. Yeah, know, I, I, tricky. I would class myself as a bit of a control freak at times. I like to know what's going on. Um, if it was just going into computer and spitting out the other side and saying it's done, I, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be a little bit nervous. Good. And let's touch on that control freak thing, if that's all right. Because okay. in your position, you have to delegate, right? You have to relinquish a little bit of control, that kind of thing. How easy is that? I know well, it's tough because that's the controlling part. But how easy was it to learn and get to delegate? And if you, do you get better at it? Is that like a? Do you think delegation is like a skill for people who who, who struggle to to release control? I think you. Ha I think you have to learn to be able to do it. Um, but I think a lot of that is then built over trust. So you trust the individual that you're delegating to. Yeah. Um, now, ultimately, if if that person is somebody that you've already brought on board and you've you've put into the role that um, that allows them that freedom of, of responsibility then ultimately that trust is already there because you wouldn't have put them in the role. Yeah. Um, and that's also beneficial for the other person as well, right? To be challenging someone, giving someone autonomy, that kind of thing. There's, there's some benefit in empowering your, your uh, team. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and look, you know, we did it here. Um, uh, RAF uh, was made head of lending on the bridging side uh, last year to, to take and absorb 
some of the parts that were that, that my my role was taking into yeah. to give me a little bit more freedom on that side of things. Um, you know, he's he's done a fantastic job. You know, we've got head of lending uh, on the buy to let side, as I said, Marilyn, who you know <laughs> don't have to say anything to. She's just she she's knows just doing the job that she's paid to do, and she's doing it. Do you find that once you do relinquish a little bit of that control, and you realise that someone can do that exceptionally well, it makes it easier as you as you go. Like, what other parts can you you could potentially um pass over yeah. to someone or, or give empower someone with exactly exactly don't get me wrong you're all you always want oversight you always want to know what's going on and you, you know you're you're always looking to understand that because otherwise how can you help make those improvements to that business yeah. if you don't understand what's going on there, you know it's it's very poignant for me at the moment because we just uh it was this month we've had our first um, placement that I have had no nothing to do with. I've never spoke to the client. I've never spoke to the candidate. Okay. I wasn't in, normally. I'm in on the meetings. Whether um, it's the first time, and it's, it does feel weird because it's t sort of 15 years, and I've yeah. I've always done everything myself, but we didn't have a team or anything. So I was interested in that in that controllingness. Not I don't want to say controlling, but because it sounds a bit um, sounds wrong, doesn't it? It's, it's just a weird feeling when you first have to give uh, someone else. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. It seems strange. It seems strange that something goes on in your business that you're not fully aware of. I've never met, I've never shook the guy's hand, which is strange. Um, but someone else has in the business who clearly is competent enough to do it, um, who I've put in that position. Uh, yeah, just a, just a strange feeling at first. But then once you know it works, I'm hoping that's the that's the kick on to uh, to not have to do everything. Yeah, proof's in the pudding, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I know I touched on this and I started talking about something else, but so 2024, what, what do you think? Um, I, t I feel like at the moment when I speak to brokers, they seem more confident than lenders. Um, do you think that's just because you guys have got shareholders and that kind of thing that you need to keep sweet? Or do you think you've got a more realistic side of the market? Or uh, how, do you, how do you see it panning out? Do you know what? I'm always the optimist. I always look at things on in a very positive light because ultimately it's down to you to be able to produce and build that you still there yeah i'm still here yeah so your picture just disappeared on me so oh no i'm still here yeah <laughs> um yeah so it's about being able to to look at what you've got as an opportunity and see how you can make improvements now ultimately we do know that the market from a transactional point of view is suppressed at this moment in time so that does have an impact on um on your ability to transact but i think the, the key things I'll take out of last year, if you look at last year as, as a sort of um, consumer uh, philosophy point of view and, and how they embraced it, I think they actually came round to the, to the understanding and knowing that the interest rate environment was higher and it was going mm. to be a little bit more painful, um, a lot quicker uh, and sooner than most people that would have given them credit to be able to do because they looked at it and went, okay, this is a sensible interest rate environment. Yes, it's more expensive, but that's where it should be. You know, they, they, they embrace that change a little bit better than maybe we thought they would. Um, I guess what we're looking at now from our perspective is they are looking at the opportunities and they're, they're probably digesting them a little bit more. So yeah. that's why you're looking at sort of purchase transactions being down at the moment in time twofold. People are not putting the house on the market because they feel like they're not gonna get a buyer or they can't afford necessarily to move at this moment in time. Um, Okay, have you felt the slight uplift though in comparison to, well I know you said that the end of last year was extremely good, but yeah. you still, it's moving in the right direction, right? Definitely. I know a couple of people who own um, estate agencies and they, you know, I've had a couple of conversations with them over the last month 
Yeah. And they're quite buoyant. They're going, yeah, more people have actually picked up the phone, had a conversation with us about what the market's doing, whether it's the right time to put their property on. The I market. just think that's the main yeah, thing. Right? That's what we said the other day. Just it's inquiries, right? If inquiries are up, that's the movement of everything. You know, that's the main thing. We've, we've, the, the market's not. It breeds positivity, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and when people are thinking about it, that just gets the wheels turning, doesn't it? You know, sowing the seed back into getting things moving, because um, we're not completely stagnant, but at the same time, things just need to kick on. Yeah. I'm a firm believer of mindset puts you in that position. Ultimately, if you were to turn around and say, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, then naturally you're going to be happy. Mm. If I, if I, it's energy creation. If I get up off my chair and I walk around as I'm talking you create energy whereas yeah. if you're sat down comfortable in a chair you there's an element of stagnation yeah. you know gesticulating with your hands is a way of putting a point across and being animated about it it's all these kind of things that create a little bit of buzz a little bit sense of of happiness and energy rather than something that's just very flatlined. So yeah. if, you're, if you're an estate agent, for instance, and you've got a, a, a new um, buyer or, or new um, potential seller on your hands, you need, to be en you need to be energized. You need to be talking to them in a positive light and you have to portray that positivity out there because they need to have that sense coming off you. Mm. Um, and again, the same principle applies in, in underwriters talking to, to brokers about deals, solicitors talking to, the, to clients about transactions. If, if it's all very flat, People are going to go. Oh, I just don't feel right. Doesn't yeah, yeah. Like we talk ourselves into not being successful, right? We're just by that, by the flat. Like it's not. We, I would say it here. Like we're a very small business. We're a tiny little economy. We don't have to read the, watch the news every day and worry about all the problems that everyone has. We've got to feed us and eight other families. That's it. Um, so that's the positive for me. So, but if I could look at Reed, who have got you know got one hundred and eighty thousand jobs or whatever. You know, it's, it's completely different. You don't have to look at. The, the market as a negative like that. You know your position in it. And like you say, positivity breeds positivity, doesn't it? And do you know what? We, it's the same principle, anything in business. You don't benchmark yourself against anybody else mm. because you are your own entity, you're your own individual. Um, so you should never do that. You should look at who you are, what your business is, and what you need to do to improve and be better and grow. And as long as you keep inwardly focused, you'll become the better person and the better business so that same principle applies isn't it if, yeah. if you worry about what other people feel and think you wouldn't challenge people as we were talking about earlier if you if you worried about what other businesses are doing you you'll lose sight of what you're doing and you could then make a fundamental mistake in your business just keep in your lane do what you do well make sure you're always sense checking how your business is going understand the market yeah yeah wholeheartedly you have to understand the market to look at opportunities um but you know just stay in your channel to make sure you get get yourself to where you want to be amazing do you know what normally at the end i ask for one last tip that was really good i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it on that tip because actually stay in your lane and be positive is probably the best um best kind of nugget of information people can take for this, this following year um so i appreciate that Gareth. Yeah, thank you very thank you very much for your time today mate it was genuinely um genuinely good if people want to get hold of you how do they um how do they speak to you? Obviously, all of your yours and MT Finance's information will be on our, our socials, but if anyone wants to speak to you directly, how, what's the best way to do it? The best, best way to do it is uh, drop me an email um, at gareth at mt-finance.com um, and I'll, I'll come back and, and answer any questions or, 
or try and give my two pennies worth. I like an opinion. Yeah, don't we? Oh, yeah, that's why we're on these. So you can give them exactly. un- uninterrupted, although I interrupt all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you very much, Gav. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching on YouTube and listening on Spotify, etc. Um, I appreciate your time, mate. I will, I will speak to you soon. Thank you, mate. Take care. Cheers.